Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 202 of The Informed Catholic. Episode 202 of The Informed Catholic. And um, <clears throat> today I'm going to do the readings for Thursday, December 17th. Um, this is actually a big turning point in our um, in our liturgical calendar. We're getting close to Christmas. So please subscribe and share if you like my podcast and you think I'm doing a good job. I will, I really would appreciate it. Uh, it would let um, Spotify, Anchor, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all the other podcast platforms know that you actually like and enjoy this podcast. So it would also encourage me. So let's begin uh, with the opening prayer. Uh, the act of, uh, I confess in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Christe Elision. Christe Elision. Christe Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you, fear not. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son, our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, now we are in the um, 17, uh, December 17th. Entrance Antiphon, Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 13. Rejoice, O heavens, and exult, O earth, for our Lord will come to show mercy to his people. Rejoice, O heavens, and exult, O earth, for our Lord will come to show mercy to his people. Rejoice, O heavens, and exult, O earth, 
for our Lord will come to show mercy to his people. Now the prayer. O God, creator and redeemer of human nature, who will that your word should take flesh in an ever-virgin womb, look with favor on our prayers that your only begotten Son, having taken to himself our humanity, may be pleased to grant us a share in his divinity, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, the readings now um, is going to be, the first reading is from Isaiah chapter 49, Verses 2 to 8, 8 to 10. A reading. I'm sorry, I'm, I apologize. It's not Isaiah. Forgive me. It's Genesis. I, I, uh, I, you know, we've been doing Isaiah for so long. It's actually from the book of Genesis. I apologize greatly. Okay, it's from the book of Genesis. I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, why does it say Genesis and should say Isaiah? Because we've been doing Isaiah for so long. So it's the book of Genesis. I, I really apologize. Book of Genesis, chapter 49, verse 2, and then 8 to 10. A reading from the Holy Book, the first book of Moses, the book of Genesis. Jesus, uh, Jacob called his sons and said to them, Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. You, Judah, shall your brothers praise. You, Judah, shall your brothers praise. Your, ha your hand on the neck of your enemies. The sons of your father shall bow down to you. Judah, like a lion's whelp, you have grown up on prey, my son. He crouches like a lion recumbent, the king of beasts. Who would dare rouse him? The scepter shall never depart from Judah or the mace between his legs while tribute is brought to him and he receives the people's homage. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I'll read it one more time. A reading from the first book of Moses, the book of Genesis. Jacob called his sons and said to them, Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. You, Judah, shall your brothers praise. Your hand on the neck of your enemies. The sons of your father shall bow down to you. Judah, like a lion's whelp, you have grown up on prey, my son. He crouches like a lion recumbent. The king of beasts, who would dare rouse him? The scepter shall never depart from Judah or the mace from between his legs, while tribute is brought to him, and he receives the people's homage. All right, so let's look at it here. This is near the end, Jacob. They're in, they're in Egypt. They follow Joseph. Um, Joseph. They're um, the one who they sold to betrayed, which was, he was a type figure of Christ. If you remember the story, they decided to, they were jealous of him. It's it's really a picture of the betrayal. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites, which is very similar to what happened where uh, 
uh, Judas sold the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Then they took a cloth and they dipped it in, in lamb's blood or goat's, goat's blood and they lied to their father. It's really a, a type picture also of, of um, uh, Cain killing uh, Abel. Abel was a shepherd and Cain be killed his brother, hid his body and uh, didn't want to acknowledge that he murdered, he murdered his brother. In this case, what they do, what do they do to, jo uh, to Joseph? I know we're going a little further back, but we're trying to establish the story here. They hid him in the, uh, in a pit, sort of like burying him. It's, it's a tight picture of what, the Pharisees and the, um, the high priest would did. Now, they obviously, uh, he became a type figure of a Christ and they, they were saved. Now, their patriarch, um, uh, uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, is giving them um, a prophecy. He's telling them that out of Judah, shall come a king and he will rule the Messiah because obviously King David and Solomon and then the title like the lion, the lion is the king of beasts and Judah is like a type of king of beasts. And he, um, there's also the case, remember where they, uh, I think Dana, their sister was taken by, uh, another uh, tribe or Canaanite tribe. And uh, she, you know, I guess you could say it was the rape, I think of Dana, if I remember her name, if that's her name correctly. And then Judah, his brothers wanted to get revenge because they felt that he, that, that they made a harlot out of their sister. And they went while the, while that particular Semitic tribe was circumcised and they were healing from the circumcision. They decided to kill them in their most weakest point, you know, Judah was sort of like a picture of judgment. I mean, and it's, you know, it's, you know, a lot of these images may not be what we would do because we, we were so remote from that culture. But the fact is, is that here he says, the king of beasts who would dare rouse him, the scepter shall ne never depart from Judah or the mace between his legs while tribute is brought to him and he receives the people's homage. The, the, the Jesus, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. King David is from the tribe of Judah. Mary and Joseph came from the, from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah is to come from the tribe of Judah. And even though these people lived in a time where violence was common and it was a weapon, and it was also a, a sort of like a, web, a language and it was a way of, they lived in a violent world. We shouldn't judge them because that was the world that they lived in. You know, a lot of people, when they read the Old Testament, they see all these horrible things and they, they're using their own morality and they're imposing their own morality on the past. Well, people in the future will do the same thing to us when they see how what, what horrible things we've done. Now, the point is, is that this is a messianic prophecy, and that's how we should look at it. All right, now the um, the responsorial psalm is from Psalm 72, and the response is, 
Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. O God, with your judgment endow the king, and with your justice the king's son. He shall govern your people with justice, and your afflicted ones with judgment. Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. The mountains shall yield peace for the people, and the hills justice. He shall defend the afflicted among the people, and save the children of the poor. Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. Justice shall flower in his days, and profound peace till the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. May his name be blessed forever. As long as the sun, his name shall remain. In him shall all the tribes of the earth be blessed. All the nations shall proclaim his happiness. Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. Now, St. Augustine said that the um the new is hidden in the old the new testament is hidden in the old testament and the old testament comes out through the new like a flower all of scripture speaks about christ every portion of scripture speaks about the lord jesus we have to remember that because you can't have christ without the old testament you can't have um um Christ without the prophets. You need the Old Testament. You need it. And you need it because our faith is built on Israel. Our faith is built on the on the prophets. Our faith is built on the Jews. We are Jews. We ourselves, we are New Testament Jews. All right. Uh, we're not ethnically Jews, but we are Jews. And remember, we receive the body and blood and soul divinity of Jesus Christ through the Eucharist. And just like the two shall become one flesh by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, the body and blood and soul divinity. This is my body and this bread is my body and this wine, this cup is my blood. We consummate like a marriage with Christ and we become one with the bridegroom. We become Jews, spiritual Jews. And you could say yes physical Jews because we're married to him. Our souls are the bride, he is the bridegroom. O God, with your judgment endow the king, and with your justice the king's son. He shall govern your people with justice and you and your afflicted ones with judgment. You could say, God, he's speaking to the Trinity, and then you could say the king, referring to the Lord Jesus, or to God the Father, and with your justice, the king's son. Or yes, the father and speaking of the son, the second person of the Trinity. You shall govern your people with justice and your afflicted ones with judgment. You shall govern your people with justice and your afflicted ones with judgment. This is obviously speaking of a righteous judge, the day of judgment, where both the living and the dead are being judged. The mountains shall yield peace for the people in the hills justice. 
He shall defend the afflicted among the people, save the children of the poor. Justice shall flower in his days and profound peace till the moon has the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Only, only the Messiah, only the Christ, only the Lord Jesus can be, can fit this role. No mortal king can do this. May his name be blessed forever. As long as the sun, his name shall remain in him. All the tribes of the earth be blessed. All the nations shall proclaim his happiness. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus. All authority of heaven and earth had been handed over to me. It's speaking of Christ. All right. So now we're going to go to the last one. It's going to be the uh, the third. The, the uh, second reading will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. Hold on. All right. Gospel uh, Antiphon, Alleluia Antiphon. O wisdom of our God, most high, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. O wisdom of our God, most high, guiding creation with power and love, Come to teach us the path of knowledge. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zirah whose mother was Tamara. Perez became the father of Hazran, Hazran the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amanadab, Amanadab became the father of Nehashan, Nehashan became the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph became the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jerome, Jerome the father of Uzziah. Uzziah became the father of Johatham, Johatham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amas, Amas became the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of Jehaniah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonian exile, Jehaniah became the father of Shelatel. Shelatel became the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Obayad, Obayad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok became the father of Achaim, Achaim the father of Aliud, Aliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar became the father of Methan, Methan became uh, the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus, the total number of 
generations from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. From the Babylonian exile to the Christ, 14 generations. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that was um, a lot of people, they tend to skip the um, the genealogy, but I kind of look at it as a serious sort of epic saga because people in the Middle East, um, you know, there's a, here's the thing. Um, they don't ask you, um, who are you? They ask, they, they often people would ask back then, even not, even now in some cases, in some places they would ask, who do you belong to? Uh, who is your who is your house? Who is your clan? Who is your tribe? Who do you belong to? Who is your father? Uh, the family name. They would ask you that because you would come from a household, a clan. Uh, you know, and you know, in a sense, it's like back then the Bedouins. Uh, you know, uh, your home is sort of like you know. I guess you could say the camel coming down. It's like the household. Who do you descend from? And it's important for some people to, to, to actually have that. If you were someone who kicked, who was kicked out of a clan, if you were disgraced, disowned, you know, uh, among the Bedouins, you don't have a chance to survive. You need the protection of a family. You need protection of a clan. That was very important to them. In this case here, what you see here is the saga of, of salvation history. All right. You, you have to like Abraham, God made a covenant with him. His, the promised son was Isaac. God was, uh, God put Abraham to the test by asking him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, as Isaac is the foreshadowing of, of Jesus. And, you know, you know, in a sense, for God so loved the world. Then it goes on from there to Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, was also another important landmark, a landmark in the sense that God would make a covenant with him. And, you know, he wrestled with the angel. Jacob had his name changed. Abraham had his name changed. Isaac didn't have his name changed, but Isaac was the was the promised son. Then you go from all his sons, and here you have interesting thing. The first woman named this genealogy. Women are not often named in genealogies. Is Tamara? Tamara was sort of like a Canaanite woman, and she was married to Perez. Um, okay, no, she she he was the. Um, I'm sorry, she, uh, Zira, whose mom. Mother was Tamara. Tamara was promised to one of Judah's sons. And one of Judah's sons committed an evil act. He spilled his seed. Basically, he, you know, he, he did not, he, he, he threw his seed away. Whatever reason what it was for that, but he was killed. Another, another one was promised to her and he died also. Bad luck with men. You could say that. Then, um, she, he had a younger son, but he didn't want to promise her because he, he thought the woman was bad luck. And when she saw he didn't keep his promise, she dressed up 
as a prostitute on the road. She uh, flirted with him. He spent the night with her, didn't know it was her. When he found out she was pregnant, he took the opportunity to thinking maybe she committed an act of adultery. I could finally get rid of this woman. But when she, no, she took from him something that was his identity, his seal. And when she showed it to him, he realized she was the prostitute along the way. And then because he tried cheating her, she got back at him. And so she wound up fathering children through him. All right. Her father-in-law. <clears throat> That's what happened. Then you go on from there. Tamara. Then you go down to um, Rahab during the fall uh, the walls of Jericho. Um, you've heard about the Jericho march that was going on with Trump supporters. She was also a harlot. These are two non-Jewish women now. We're going to we're going to come to a third. Rahab converted and be, and became uh, a Jewess, and she became she married an ancestor of Jesus. Um. Uh. Then what happened here? Okay, Salmon was the father whose mother was. She married someone by the name of Salmon. And Solomon became, uh, became the father of Boaz. And then what happened afterward, uh, Boaz became the father of Obit. Obit, whose mother was Ruth, another non-Jewish woman, the book of Ruth, a Moabitess. And you know the history of the Moabites. The Moabites, uh, two of Lot and his daughters. One of his daughters got him drunk, slept with him, whatever reason. You know, you're going to have to go back and read that one. It's, a pretty, uh, it's not a nice story. They seduced their father, and then suddenly um, she gave birth to a son named uh, Moab, uh, Moabitus, and then you know became the Moabites, the father of the Moabites, and she, you know, th that's that's how they came into existence. Ruth came through those people, and then um, she converted, and then she became the great grandmother of King David, which she also happens to be the great great grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a nice little book. As if it's part of the book of Judges, technically. And then you get to King David, who fathered Solomon. Notice this part. Whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. They don't even want to acknowledge her by name. Because David, their greatest king, committed an act of adultery, but also murder. To cover up his adultery. Solomon was not the fruit of that, but he, she later on, they married and then she gave birth to Solomon. And ironically, Solomon had a different name than this one. Then what happened was, these are the, these are the women. Why are they in Matthew's genealogy? Well, the one that's supposed to stand out, notice what he comes down in the end. Um, Jacob was the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who's called the Christ. Because Matthew is using a rabbinical argument because of the rumors of Jesus' unusual circumstances of how he was born. They questioned and they maligned the virgin birth. So he names, he puts three women, um, uh, the women, um, Tamara, Rahab the harlot, um, Ruth, and then Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, four women in the in the in the family line of Jesus. 
And he wants to show them that you dismiss this woman because of unusual circumstances of giving birth to a son. And you want to say horrible things about this man and his mother. Then what about these women here who are you know, who, who played a role in salvation history? So that's why he's using a, a rabbinical argument against the critics of Jesus. That's why. Okay, so let's end it here. I'm going to start reading the book, The Day Christ Was Born. All right. Gospel uh, Antiphon, Alleluia Antiphon. O wisdom of our God, most high, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. O wisdom of our God, most high, guiding creation with power and love come to teach us the path of knowledge alleluia alleluia a reading from the holy gospel according to saint matthew the book of the genealogy of jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham 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 became the father of isaac isaac the father of jacob jacob the father of judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zirah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez became the father of Hazran, Hazran the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amanadab, Amanadab became the father of Nehashan, Nehashan became the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph became the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jeroam, Jeroam the father of Uzziah. Uzziah became the father of Johatham, Johatham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amas, Amas became the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of Jehaniah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonian exile, Jehaniah became the father of Shelatel. Shelatel became the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Obayad, Obayad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok became the father of Achaim, Achaim the father of Aliud, Aliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar became the father of Methan, Methan became uh, the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus, the total number of generations from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. From the Babylonian exile to the Christ, 14 generations. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that was um, a lot of people. They tend to skip the um, the genealogy, but I kind of look at it as 
a serious sort of epic saga because people in the Middle East, um, you know, there's a, here's the thing. Um, they don't ask you, um, who are you? They ask, they, they often people would ask back then, even not, even now in some cases, in some places they would ask, who do you belong to? Uh, who is your, who's your house? Who's your clan? Who's your tribe? Who do you belong to? Who's your father? Uh, the family name. They would ask you that because you would come from a household, a clan. Uh, you know, and, you know, in a sense, it's like back then the Bedouins, uh, you know, uh, your home is sort of like, you know, I guess you could say the camel coming down. It's like the household. Who do you descend from? And it's important for some people to, to, to actually have that. If you were someone who kicked, who was kicked out of a clan, if you were disgraced, disowned, you know, uh, among the Bedouins, you don't have a chance to survive. You need the protection of a family. You need protection of a clan. That was very important to them. In this case here, what you see here is the saga of, of salvation history. All right, you you have to like Abraham. God made a covenant with him. His the promised son was Isaac. God was uh, God put Abraham to the test by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. As Isaac is the foreshadowing of of Jesus, and you know you know in a sense, for God so loved the world. Then it goes on from there to Jacob. Uh, Jacob. Uh, was also another important landmark, a landmark in the sense that God would make a covenant with him. And, you know, he wrestled with the angel. Jacob had his name changed. Abraham had his name changed. Isaac didn't have his name changed, but Isaac was the, was the promised son. Then you go from all his sons, and here you have interesting thing. The first woman named in genealogy, women are not often named in genealogies, is Tamara. Tamara was sort of like a Canaanite woman, and she was married to Perez. Um, okay, no, she, she, he was the, um, I'm sorry, she, uh, Zira, whose um, mother was Tamara. Tamara was promised to one of Judah's sons. And one of Judah's sons committed an evil act. He spilled his seed. Basically, he, you know, he, he did not, he, he, he threw his seed away. Whatever reason, what it was for that, but he was killed. Another, another one was promised to her and he died also. Bad luck with men. You could say that. Then, um, she, he had a younger son, but he didn't want to promise her because he, he thought the woman was bad luck. And when she saw he didn't keep his promise, she dressed up as a prostitute on the road. She uh, flirted with him. He spent the night with her, didn't know it was her. When he found out she was pregnant, he took the opportunity to thinking maybe she committed an act of adultery. I could finally get rid of this woman. But when she, no, she took from him something that was his identity, his seal. And when she showed it to him, he realized she was the prostitute along the way. And then... Because he tried cheating her, she got back at him. And so she wound up fathering children through him. 
all right, her father-in-law. <clears throat> That's what happened. Then you go on from there. Tamara. Then you go down to um, Rahab during the fall of uh, the walls of Jericho. Um, you heard about the Jericho march that was going on with Trump supporters. She was also a harlot. These are two non-Jewish women now. We're going to, we're going to come to a third. Rahab converted and, be, and became uh, a Jewess. And she became, she married an ancestor of Jesus. Um, uh, now what happened here? Okay, Salmon was the father whose mother was, she married someone by the name of Salmon. And Solomon became uh, became the father of Boaz. And then what happened afterward, uh, Boaz became the father of Obit. Obit, whose mother was Ruth, another non-Jewish woman, the book of Ruth, a Moabitess. And you know the history of the Moabites. The Moabites, uh, two of Lot and his daughters. One of his daughters got him drunk, slept with him, whatever reason. You know, you're going to have to go back and read that one. It's, a pretty, uh, it's not a nice story. They seduced their father, and then suddenly um, she gave birth to a son named uh, Moab, uh, Moabitus, and then and it became the Moabites, the father of the Moabites, and she, you know, th that's that's how they came into existence. Ruth came through those people, and then um, she converted, and then she became the great-grandmother of King David, which she also happens to be the great-great-grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a nice little book. It's, a, it's part of the book of Judges, technically. And then you get to King David, who fathered Solomon. Notice this part. Whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. They don't even want to acknowledge her by name. Because David, their greatest king, committed an act of adultery, but also murder. To cover up his adultery. Solomon was not the fruit of that, but he, she later on, they married and then she gave birth to Solomon. And ironically, Solomon had a different name than this one. Then what happened was, these are the, these are the women. Why are they in Matthew's genealogy? Well, the one that's supposed to stand out, notice what he comes down in the end. Um, Jacob was the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, was called the Christ. Because Matthew is using a rabbinical argument because of the rumors of Jesus' unusual circumstances of how he was born. They questioned and they maligned the virgin birth. So he names, he puts three women, um, uh, the women, um, Tamara, Rahab the harlot, um, Ruth, and then Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, four women in the, in, the, in the family line of Jesus. And he wants to show them that you dismiss this woman because of unusual circumstances of giving birth to a son. And you want to say horrible things about this man and his mother. Then what about these women here who, are, who, who played a role in salvation history? So that's why he's using a, a rabbinical argument against the critics of Jesus. That's why. Okay, so let's end it here. I'm going to start reading the book, The Day Christ Was Born. Alrighty, so now I'm going to begin reading from 
Jim Bishop's book, The Day Christ Was Born. Mary remained with Elizabeth until June, a week prior to the birth of John the Baptist. Mary was three months pregnant, and her parents had sent word that she should be at home preparing for her wedding. Yes, the wedding. Elizabeth now enjoyed Mary's complete confidence, and the two women wondered if Joseph knew. It was important that he know what was about to happen, and he must understand. When Mary arrived home, she saw her husband-to-be, and he was not happy that she had chosen to be away from him for three months. And if he knew the secret, well, he hid it well. He had heard from Mary's mother that Elizabeth was to bear a child. But surely there were other women in her town who could have attended her. The young girl did not dispute Joseph. She decided from his attitude that he knew nothing of her great secret. She would not marry him without telling him something of it. I am going to have a baby, she said. The shock to Joseph was beyond measure. Throughout their courtship, his intended bride had worn an aura of innocence around her. He was painfully conscious of her lack of knowledge. She had gone away three months ago, and now she returned to say that she was pregnant? It, it is impossible to read the depths of sorrow in both of their hearts. He looked at her tenderly, and she offered no words of explanation. She looked away from him and wished that she might tell, tell him everything. The baby was going to need a foster father. Who better than this man she loved, this gentle and pious and patient Joseph? The thought crossed her mind that he had been selected for the role for this very reason. He would be an ideal guardian for the infant. Then why, why had he not been told why wrench two young hearts with tragedy when the truth was as bright and as warm as the sun itself? On the tip of her tongue, Mary had the greatest secret of all history. She could not unlock her tongue. Joseph went away from her to think. Of the two, he was the more pitiable. He loved this girl with all his heart, and he had had visions of a long, fruitful, beautiful life with her. Now he felt she had betrayed him, and he could not understand this betrayal or even force himself to believe that it was true. Joseph kept his awful secret. He could divorce her publicly if he did this. He would be compelled to tell the elders of the reason. In that case, they would ask Mary if she was with child. If she said yes, Joseph would have to swear that he was without knowledge of her. The priests would judge her to be an adulteress. There was only one penalty for this crime, stoning.
the guilty person is led by townsmen to a high cliff and then ordered to jump. If the adulteress refuses, she would be pushed. As she lies at the bottom of the cliff, the people would arm themselves with stones and watch. If she moves, they would throw the stones. If she doesn't, they go home. The body is then left where it is for the birds and the animals. Joseph was being put to the test. He did not want Mary to die. He loved her. He could, under the law, pay money to put her away or to have her sent to some remote place. There, she could have her baby and remain. And then the third possibility would be for Joseph to swallow his pride, proceed with the wedding, and hope that there would not be too much comment among the townspeople over a six-month-old baby. He was dwelling upon the possibilities. One night in bed, suddenly the carpenter made up his mind. He would put Mary away privately. It would break his heart, and he knew that he could not love anyone else, but it would be just and at the same time merciful. It would be just and merciful at the same time. Within a few moments of this decision reached, relaxation came to Joseph, and he slept a deep sleep. He was visited then by an angel. The Spirit said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not trouble yourself to take Mary as your wife into your home. Her conception was brought on by the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph awakened, he remembered the dream, and he wondered if his hopes were reaching for realization. A dream was nothing more than a dream. His unconscious wishes might be fulfilled in sleep still. If this were so, he would never dream a blasphemy in which the pregnancy was excused by attributing it to God. Besides, the dream fulfilled an old prophecy. To the letter, behold, the virgin will be pregnant and give birth to a son who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph felt refreshed. He felt happy. The more he dwelt upon the dream, the more clearly he saw the hand of God revealing a great truth to him. It requires restraint to go to work, making stalls and tables and wooden hangers for utensils and closets for garments. He longed to hurry to Mary's house, yelling, I know, I know. His patience manifested itself, and he waited until the proper time after supper when he saw 
his first glance, Mary knew that he knew before he took her for an evening walk to explain. God had tried both of these young people, and they had not failed him. Still, Joseph was worried because he did not understand what part he was to play, nor how best to interpret the will of God. The scriptures plainly said that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, and Joseph interpreted this to mean that he would have no prerogatives as a husband, now or ever. The following week, they were married, and Joseph took Mary to his home. One of his worries he confided to Mary was that if he, if the old prophecy of a Messiah was to be fulfilled, then something was wrong because everyone knew that the sacred scriptures said that the king of kings would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Their infant would be born in Nazareth, a little place over 90 miles north of Bethlehem. She had no intention of traveling anywhere, Mary said. She was going to remain here in Nazareth. In the summer months and the early autumn, the old women of the town noticed that she was pregnant, and they consoled her to remain close to her home. She would not go to see Elizabeth's baby, so why would she consider traveling to Bethlehem? Joseph nodded. That was the way he felt. He never, he has never been to Bethlehem, and he had no intentions of going there at all. We'll end it here. All right, so here's something that I often have a little trouble with, um, the way some people interpret it, that when Joseph found that she was with child, but of the Holy Spirit, he contemplated of putting her away privately, so in order not to make a disgrace of her. Now, I could be wrong, maybe... You know, he did think that, but here's my problem. Does, I mean, can you imagine thinking that she was unfaithful? I mean, I don't think the Blessed Mother was the kind of person, even when she tells you, let's say, if you were Joseph, right to your face that she is with child. I honestly do believe with all my heart that he he must have known in his own in his own heart that she's innocent that she didn't do anything. It doesn't say that she told him how she came to be pregnant. That's true. But somehow I would suspect that in his heart he knows that she did not commit sin. I think one being in her presence the fact that someone who has been chosen, someone like her was special, that somehow spiritually, especially a man like he was known to be a pious man, a just man, I think would know in his heart she's not guilty. You know, you would know it. I don't believe she's guilty. I don't believe she did anything wrong, but... Maybe she did tell him. Maybe he wondered to himself. Maybe he had, he probably thought he had no place, no role to play. But then suddenly, maybe he, because God hasn't spoken to him, 
And maybe that's what he needed. Maybe he he thought to himself, if God doesn't speak to me, then maybe I'm not meant to be part of this. But he, at the same time, he was thinking, I got to protect her. So I'll send her away someplace where she can be alone, where she will not have to suffer disgrace. And then suddenly, before you know it, he got his, he got his answer from God. That you are to play a part in this. That you do have a role in this. You know, I, I have a strong... I, have, I just do, I believe in my heart that he knew she didn't commit sin, that she was not, that she knew that she was not the kind of person that would, that would, this would happen because there was something about her that is absolutely beautiful, innocent, and powerful. I would imagine that in her earthly life, that, that nothing could touch her, nothing evil could touch her. So, that's my own conclusion. Also, I, I, for some reason, I think she was she would have remained there for the birth of John the Baptist. I don't think she would have um, she would have not been there. I think she would have stayed with Elizabeth. Well, that's at least that's my my personal view. I'm glad I got a chance to read it. Um, it's kind of you know very hard when I coming home you. You're very tired and everything. And sometimes, unfortunately, I do get interruptions. Lately, I tried several times in the evening to do this. And they're, they're, they're shoveling snow outside. So you can hear the shoveling <laughs> in Brooklyn. So hopefully um, I can get tomorrow. Um, this actually is also a Thursday reading. I just want, to, I want you guys to know it is actually also a Thursday reading. Um, but because it, it, it hit on the, it was also the 17th. So you got two Thursday readings, actually. Um, I'll come back with a Friday, uh, liturg uh, scripture readings. So, um, hopefully it came out all right. So, um, let's end it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. And then we got to do the um, the readings for the um, Our Lady of Lourdes and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O ever Immaculate Virgin, Mother of Mercy, Health of the Sick, Refuge of Sinners, Comforter of the Afflicted, you know my wants, my troubles, and my sufferings. Cast upon me a look of mercy by appearing in the Grotto of Lourdes. You were pleased to make it a privileged sanctuary where you dispense your favors, where many sufferers have obtained the cure of their infirmities, both spiritual and corporal. I come, therefore, with the most unbounded confidence to implore your mental intercession. Obtain, O loving Mother, the granting of my requests through gratitude forever. 
I will endeavor to imitate your virtue, that I may one day share your glory. Amen. O most blessed mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayers as your children. We implore your intercession with Jesus, your son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today. Especially, here we make our private intentions. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayers. We entrust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely hurting or hurting mary help us holy mother to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with god our father our lady of lords pray for us our lady of lords pray for us our lady of lords pray for us oh mary conceived um mary conceived without sin pray for us oh mary conceived without sin pray for us oh mary conceived without sin Pray for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. All right, folks, God bless, and I'll be back tomorrow night.